see you this morning, and uh, just I'm really glad, glad you guys are here. Kind of feels like spring's finally here, doesn't it? I don't know. Just the uh, rhododendrons are blossoming, and uh, everything's getting kind of kind of pretty out there. And yesterday was a Muckleteo garage sale. That uh, lets you know the springtime's here. We we have not been a part of that for a number of years, but this year we we were among them, and uh, got to see a lot of our neighbors coming by and talking to them. We're we're kind of in that delimiting mode right now, getting rid of stuff. And so, I don't know, it's kind of, kind of sad in a way. You know, I got rid of our piano that my kids grew up learning piano on and our big blue van that we had had for 17 years. Uh, wave goodbye to it this week. That was not such a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> transmission didn't work, you know, and uh, among other things. But uh, I don't know, it's just been kind of cool. But, but uh it's a, it's a great time of the year. We're getting ready to launch into a new uh, series today. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, and uh, as usual, we like to make Bibles available to you. We're going to be walking through it verse by verse and chapter by chapter over the next several weeks, and we'll be talking about that uh, in just a moment. But I um, want to welcome those that might, not only you guys here, but those that are watching on the web. We always like to welcome you guys that are on our online community. I don't know if you realize this, but we've got hundreds and hundreds of folks that tune in one of our th- uh, four, three services that we have and uh, I know you feel connected, but uh, it's always great to have you here in person. But if you're other places right now, on vacation or out and about, uh, just know that you can always tie into us that way. And appreciate our media crew that makes that possible every week. So looking forward to where we're going. We, we are, as you can see from the title, the title of the series is Made for More. Made for More. And, you know, the whole kind of the, the spirit, the theme of this is about discovering who we are in Christ. And if you don't know much about Ephesians, which hopefully you'll begin to find out more and more about, it is all about explaining to you in the most succinct fashion uh, who you are in Christ and what has been made available to you uh, as a result of Christ coming into your life. There's probably not a book in the Bible, in my opinion, that is more uh, clearly laying out doctrine and, uh, again, succinctly, about our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ as the book of Ephesians. So when we talk about the, the, the things he's made available, uh, everything that is in Christ has been made available to you and me. That's the bottom line. And when you stop and just contemplate that, that's an amazing fact. And yet a lot of believers don't know that. They don't live that way. I always go back to a story that I heard uh, sometime back about a gal that lived uh, in 1916. She passed away in 1916, so she goes back a ways. Her name was Hetty Green, and she was dubbed the most, uh, the greatest miser in all of America. There's Hetty, all right? And she, uh, they say that when she passed away, that her estate was worth somewhere between 100 and 200 million dollars, all right? Today's terms, that'd be in the billions, okay? Just for context. But, uh, she was infamous for her miserliness. Uh, for example, she would eat cold oatmeal every morning because she didn't want to pay the price to heat it up. Okay? Uh, she told her laundress, I call them back then, her laundress, to, not, uh, to just clean the dirtiest parts of her dress because she wanted to save the money on the soap. Uh, and the worst, the one that kind of breaks your heart, her son Ned broke his leg. And because she took days to seek out a free clinic, she w- didn't want to go to the regular doctor or hospital, free clinic, and she, she kept getting turned down, turned down, that the leg set uh, in an I- improper fashion and had to amputate it. 
this is Hetty Green. And, uh, you know, she sounds crazy, probably was eccentric, absolutely. But I'm telling you guys, as Christians, as believers, that's not too dissimilar to what we have available, and yet so many of us are living like paupers, like we don't have it. We don't know. And, and, and you're not going to be able to apply what you don't know you have, right? It doesn't do you any good at all. One of the things that Annette uh, has taught me over our married life, uh, she just kind of influenced me this way, is to trade out our, our wardrobe and the seasons. And so I've got my winter clothes, you know, shirts, things like that, coats, and and then when springtime comes around, you know, she, she, I'll come home and all of a sudden my closet, man, has just been totally changed out. I mean, I, I like, I have a favorite shirt, a yellow shirt. And if I put that on in January, what are you wearing that for? She'll say, you know, she won't let me wear it. And that's just kind of the deal. Well, anyway, we, uh, you know, the fall was here and I, I can't remember how I got it. It was, I got some cash somehow and I stuck it in the inside coat pocket and then, um, put it up on the on the shelf and of course everything got changed out it, it was it was not till next fall and you know currency just has a certain feel about it <laughs> and I was reaching in for something else I thought whoa you know <laughs> and had I had I not discovered that it wasn't going to do me any good at all right okay that's the point you have riches that you may not understand that you have and so for the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go on a treasure hunt. You're going to find some things about who you are and what you have in Christ Jesus that it, it's not going to do you any good unless you apply them, unless we put them into practice. And so for this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to introduce you a little bit to this book. For those of you that are just getting maybe familiar to your Bibles and don't know anything about the background here, I want to give you a little context of, of what it was written, why it was written, who wrote it. And then we're going to dive right into chapter 1 today. And right out of the gate, Paul is going to start laying out for us what some of these treasures are. Okay? So that's where we're going to head. We're going to pray and ask the Lord not only to help us to understand this for today, but for the weeks that are going to come. And I hope you'll join us. And in fact, I want to encourage you this. Most of you know that our life groups are kind of based upon sermons, on the messages you hear. So I, if you're not in a life group, what a great time. I know some of them dismissed for the summer. Uh, but for the next few weeks, maybe get connected, and you're going to take a deeper dive through penetrating personal questions regarding what we're talking about, and just get to a little bit connected with some other believers. So if, you, if you're not in one, talk to some of the guys out in the lobby afterwards. We really encourage you to do that, and so we'll be walking through this together as a study. So let's pray, and let's ask God's blessing on it. Father, thank you for the time we get to share. We come with anticipation every time we approach your word. We believe that it, is, it, it really is like a treasure uh, that we get to discover. And today is going to be one of those days, Lord, when we gaze into it. I just pray we can set aside everything else around us for the next few minutes. Concentrate on your word and what you want to say to us. And God, I would pray especially for a brother or sister that's in this room right now that has never taken the initial step to invite you to come into their heart and their life and to begin to disclose and reveal all of the things we're going to be talking about. So if there's just this sense of which um, there's kind of a desire, a yearning, or a seeking heart, I pray today they will find exactly what it is that you have for them. So commit this to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the book of Ephesians, uh, it's a book uh, written by the Apostle Paul. You can read that in the very first line. He says he identifies himself. 
And again, just, just uh, being sensitive to those of you that might not have studied the Bible or know as much about it as we walk through this, this kind of verse-by-verse, uh, verse, chapter-by-chapter, uh, Paul was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. And he was a, he was a kind of up-and-coming star in, in Judaism, very zealous. And especially when these Christians begin to emerge, he took it upon himself to try to douse the fire that was there. He, he persecuted them. He literally stood over as some of them were martyred, like Stephen. Uh, Saul was a feared guy among the Christians in the early stages. And then all of a sudden, one day, on his way to do just that, uh, God got, a, got his attention. And he, he surrendered his life to Christ, and that began his journey. Right at the very beginning, Jesus revealed to Saul, then he became Paul, that his purpose, his calling was going to be to take this good news, this gospel message, to the Gentile world. Uh, at that point, everything was in the context of the Jews and Judaism and Israel, but eventually Paul would take it beyond that. Well, God began to shape him and, and, and transform his life. He spent some time, you know, just alone, uh, studying and learning and growing. And, uh, and it was about, uh, probably about 20 years later, uh, AD, 19, or AD 53, okay, uh, about 20 years after Christ's crucifixion and, and, and resurrection, that he and his friend Barnabas went to a little place called Antioch, which was north of Jerusalem, north of Israel, along the Mediterranean. That's where they first called us Christians, is in that church. They were a vibrant church. They were kind of the gateway to, to the rest of Asia. And it was during a service, much like ours, you know, when God began to speak to the church, and they set apart Paul and Barnabas to go on what they call the first missionary journey. They took off, and they went up around, around, and they went into, today we call it Turkey, and began to share this gospel with cities after cities, villages after villages. And one of the places they stopped was this city of Ephesus. Ephesus was the, probably the largest city east of Rome. So it was kind of like the eastern version of the Ro for the Roman Empire, very significant. It was a pagan city, obviously. They worshipped the goddess at Diana, they had a big temple to that effect. Uh, it was a very established area. And, and that's where Paul, he didn't spend much time on that first journey there, but he established some believers in Ephesus. He continued on around and then returned home. On his second journey, which was about three years later, he spent two years in Ephesus. He knew how significant this was. It, was, it would be like going, back in those times, next to Rome, it would be like going to New York City or some major influential cultural center, and he knew his investment there was going to probably have far-reaching impact. And so he spent two years discipling, meeting with people in the temple courts, uh, not temple, but uh, the, uh, the, the courts, uh, for, they call it the lecture courts, actually, and he'd gather believers there, and he'd teach them every day. Leadership rose up from there, and... Uh, and then he moved on. Uh, he actually had a third journey. And then sometime after that, in fact, it was probably about eight, eight nine years later, is when he ran into trouble back home in, in Israel. And he was arrested, and he appealed to Caesar. And therefore, that put him on a boat, hauled him off to Rome, and he spent the rest of his life under what we call house arrest. 
So now we're in Rome. He's in some kind of a, a jail or cell or some kind of environment. He had a little bit of freedom. He could have visitors coming in and out. Uh, and that's where he wrote a number of letters to the churches that he had established. So those letters, we call them the prison epistles. There are a lot of little small books that are in your uh, New Testament that were written by Paul. Those are the prison epistles, and among those is uh, the letter to the Ephesians. If you want to read a little bit more about this, you can read the book of Colossians. Uh, you're going to see a lot of similarities between those letters. And another one, a little book called Philemon. Because the context of how he sent this letter from Rome back to these churches uh, is mentioned in Philemon about a, a slave named Onesimus that had left his master. And they actually sent somebody to retrieve him back in Rome. And that's how he got to, to know the, he was like a courier, that he gave this letter. And then that person brought it back uh, a number of weeks or months later. So that would be about 63 AD is when the letter to Ephesians was written about 30 years after, after Christ rose from the grave, okay? So today, for today's purposes, if you have your notes in front of you, I wanted you to see just kind of an overview of the book because it's divided into two very distinct parts, okay? The first part would deal with what we would call doctrine. He, when I use the word doctrine, I'm essentially saying right belief. They, he wanted them to believe the truth of the right things and, and instilled it to them what we would call doctrine. And one of the things that concerns me today is we don't do as much doctrine, do we? We don't have as much teaching uh, that, that we would classify that. Some of you remember the day when you would go to church, but then you'd also go to Sunday school. Yeah, any of you grow up that way? Or you'd have a, a certain, you'd have a class, and, and as you became adults, usually those had to do with Bible teaching or doctrine or and another thing you may not remember are the days when we called them denominations. And so the label that you were under, whether it was a Presbyterian or a Methodist or a Lutheran or you know, some of these labels, the reason they had those labels was because that would define for you the umbrella of the doctrine that they held to. And if you knew it, if you understood it, you would kind of identify with that. Not just because of the label, but, but you, you kind of say, well, that, that's what I understand, you know, the... the the, the meanings to be between some of these teachings. But we don't have that much anymore. Like North Shore, many churches now have chosen to be non-denominational. We're trying to cover all the bases. But unfortunately, here's the truth. I hate to admit this, but a lot of the teaching today uh, is designed to be so attractive and appealing that we don't get too deep in the weeds. And we don't explain uh, some of the distinctions. But you're going to see here, in the, even in this first chapter, there are some words that can be very controversial. And the truth be told, some, some whole denominations have been divided over the very words that we're going to look at today. One person believes this is what it means. Another whole group says, well, no, this is what it means. And the testimony to the world comes off as we're divided. We don't, we don't even agree amongst ourselves, and it's not a good testimony. But there is a truth. It is the same spirit that, that wrote those words. So we'll, uh, we'll look at some of those as well. So... I think the first three chapters, you're going to look at doctrine. You're going to look at our position in Christ. He's going to talk about who you are, okay? Who we are. That's a third thing. Uh, in our relationship, the position we have in Christ, and then who we are, our identity in him. So the first three chapters are going to talk about this. The favorite phrase that Paul uses in Ephesians is in Christ 
or some derivative of that. In him or in his beloved or in the word in, meaning that we were immersed or like this, okay? So that's the first part. Then he's going to shift gears and we're going to go into more of a practical mode, okay? Chapters 4 through 6 deals with practical living. How does this play out in our everyday activities, okay? He's going to talk about uh, not so much our position as he did earlier, but now what is the practice of the Christian life? What do you, what do you believe? What, what is, how does it show up in your character and in your behavior? And we're going to go through such practical things in just a short time, such as marriage. How do you have a successful marriage? How do you, how do you conduct yourself at work? How about parenting? Do you have anything to say about that? Yes. Does he talk about um, the church and how we relate to each other and how we're going to function as a church? So it's going to be how do we play this thing out? And then finally, uh, the first part talks about who we are. second part is what do we do now? What do we do with this? So... That's, um, that's kind of where we're going, and that's what we're going to be looking at uh, in our time together. I, I do hope you'll join us. Don't miss a week. If you're out of town or whatever, tune in online. But, uh, but I think that this really has some great stuff for us these next few weeks. So keep us in your prayers as we walk through this, okay? Well, right out of the gate, I want you to look with me at chapter 1, and we're going to read. Let's read the first few verses together. Um, and, and here's what I want to challenge you. Listen how many times the word in is used in, in Christ, in the beloved, in him. Okay, watch this. Paul, he says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set before or set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Well, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul didn't know a lot about periods or dots. His sentences kind of run on and on and on, don't they? But boy, what, a, what an amazing thing he has just unfolded for us about who we are uh, in Christ. Here's what I'm going to do. I want to walk, walk you through and just basically begin to answer the question. That our series is about we were made for more. What is the more that we were made for? What is that more? 
What is it that he's saying? This is, this is what you can expect. This is what you have available to you in Christ Jesus. What's it look like? I'm going to share several things with you. If you have notes out, here's the first one. And he starts off right there in verse 3. He said, the more, <laughs> in fact, in some respects, we could just do this and then go home, right? All spiritual blessing has been made available to you and me. All spiritual blessing. Now he adds to it the little thing in the heavenly places. Notice that? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been made available to us. Now, I want to be real honest with you. Sometimes when you're reading the Bible and you read something like that, you can read that and you're, you're thinking, wow, that, that's great. But when he put that little tab on there, in the heavenly places, you might come to a conclusion. What he's talking about is just on the other side, all right? What's yet to come. What's all in the future sense. And I think I know you as well as I know myself that sometimes I get a little bit more locked into here and now. You know, that's good, that's good news, but I can't get quite as excited about it because I'm thinking, well, what about now? What about now? And there's stuff, uh, you know, that, that would make me excited for now. That's good stuff, but I don't get quite as excited. It reminds me of when I was a kid at Christmas time. Now, I knew I needed socks, okay? But my grandmother McFadden, she always got me socks for Christmas. And I, I need them, but I didn't get too excited about it. So when I saw the package that said, from Grandma McFadden, you know, I, I just kind of, oh, okay, you know. Uh, and some of us may approach us that way. We're thinking, oh, that's for the heavenly places. But friends, as he's going to say a little bit later in his prayer, it is not only for the future, it is for the here and now. There's, there's blessings, spiritual blessings he's making available to you and me right now. Can I give you a couple examples? Anybody here in the room, would you like a little more joy in your heart? A joy, a true deep down joy. He says, my joy I give to you. This is not something we have to strive for. This is Jesus says, I'm going to give you my joy. Maybe you've had a tough week this week. Maybe it's been stressful and anxious. And Would you like a little peace in your life, in your world? Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. I give it to you. My peace. So what's he saying? These things are, are part of the package. This is what I bring to you. And it's part of those spiritual blessings uh, that he is making, you know, making available to each one of us. Now, you know, I, um, I want to take just a minute today uh, as we start the series to address something. And I hope you can understand what I, I'm about to say. Um, when we talk about more, and, and we're going to unfold and unpack the things that, that are right there available to us, and hopefully you'll believe that and, uh, and apply that. But there's a little concern that I have whenever I use that word. And I'm going to take you back in, in an experience I had a number of years ago. I was pastoring in another church, and there was, there was what many were assuming was a revival that was beginning to come and approach our area of Florida, uh, it was a movement, and there was a teacher behind it. And I met the person, and, and uh, a lot of our, our people from our church began to be influenced by this. And so as the shepherd, I needed to take a closer look. I did not want to throw water or extinguish a fire that, that Jesus was genuinely behind. 
but I wanted to check it out. And so I literally went to a meeting up uh, in the Midwest that this teacher was conducting. And after uh, the teaching and everything was, was going on, <clears throat> he and others, you know, that, that were part of this, they would go around and begin the ministry time, and they begin pray for folks. Nothing wrong with that. They, they would pray. A lot of times they wouldn't touch them. It was just like, they, like they're just barely, you know, kind of hovering. And they would pray this repetitious prayer over and over and over again. They'd say, more, 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 Lord, more. Give them more, give them more. And this would go on sometimes for quite some time until what their expectation was is that they would fall out in the spirit. Or they would begin to do stuff that this movement became known for, things like barking like dogs or shaking or jumping or just all kinds of uh, expressions. And, and, and so it kind of got dubbed with some, some names and labels and things like that. And I'm just telling you guys with all honesty, I was watching this and I was thinking, does, does this seem right? And something was unsettling to me. Something was very unsettling. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Because I, I am not one that wants to, again, to diminish God's work or how he's going to work and somehow has to fit in my box of how he's going to do that. But I think I finally discovered, when I got back to my own church, I began to explain this. And I shared with them, I said, you know, I was taken back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve are being tempted, they're being lured into taking a bite from the, the fruit of the tree of knowledge, right? The tree of life. And, and the Lord forbade that. And so when Satan comes to tempt them, what does he use to entice them? Well, for one thing, he said, did God say? He puts a question mark and uh, suddenly everything comes up for grab. The second thing he does is, God just doesn't want you to have, have more. He just does not want you to have what he has. Because if you eat that, you're going ha to be like God. Do you remember that? And so what he's tapping into, I hope you're following me, he's tapping into a sense of discontentment. And there are believers today who are subject or vulnerable to that because they think, oh, there's got to be something else. And you become susceptible to teachers that are going to come off in a manner that, oh, I've got the secret. Or I've got something that they don't know. I've got, oh, this is how you're going to get more if you go through this, this, or this. And to me, I'm going to be just very honest with you. I feel like it is a similar voice of the enemy who was in the garden that was trying to entice them with that spirit of discontentment. And so you offset that with a truth that we're seeing right in this very scripture. All spiritual blessing has been made available to us in Christ Jesus. All right? It's all there. It's all sufficient. You don't have to go searching for a secret code or something like this or that somehow God is holding back on us. And, oh, well, this person has got the code or the secret or this person. He, is, he has made it more available to us than sometimes we're willing to even acknowledge. And so I, I feel it's important as we get into this that as these things are disclosed, I'm not trying to tap in so much to a, a spirit of discontentment, friend. All I would do is want to proclaim the gospel truth that all spiritual blessing is found in Christ Jesus. This is why he emphasizes that so much. It's in Christ. It's not by you working for it. It's not by you, you know, jumping through some, some hoops or going to this place or that place. It's right there. It's available to you. And that's good news. That is good news. Um... And I, I just I felt like it's necessary to pass that on at the beginning because even with our title, Made for More, uh, 
you know, everything that's going to be disclosed. And even today, as we look, he starts this and he kind of broadly says all spiritual blessing, but now he zeroes in to one of the greatest truths of all, and that is he chose you and me for salvation. He chose you for salvation. And what is the salvation? What are you saved from? You're saved from a predicament we call sin. And the consequence of sin, the wages of sin, is death, meaning separation. That's what the word is saying there. You're separated from your eternal God. And until you are brought back together with him, reconciled back, if you die in the state of separation, friends, you are going to see him someday and you will know he's there and I'm here. And we did not take those steps to allow him to repair that relationship through only what his son did. But if we die in that state of sin, we will be forever separated. And you need to know this. We water this down today. We don't talk about this much. But that's the reality. All will see. Every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I don't care who they are, what they say, what religion they aspire to. Everybody's going to see Jesus when they get right. One minute after you die, you're going to see and you're going to know. And you don't want to be in a place where he says, depart from me because I never knew you. I know one thing for sure, right here and right now, his word is going to you. And, and, and so now we're on notice. I've, I've made this available. And it's my love. It's my love that wants to draw you in. So he's going to show us here how he chose us. Now, here's one of those words that we can get tripped up over. Maybe you picked up on it. The word predestination. You ever wrestled with that one? Okay, listen to how he says this. He goes on and he says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption. In love, he predestined. So here's the big issue. Remember I told you whole denominations divide over this? This is one of those things. You've got a group over here, a camp over here, that is saying, okay, well, if he did that, then it's all him. It's absolutely 100%. There's nothing, absolutely nothing I can do. And so that kind of extrapolated into the thought. Then why, why would I... Share to, why would I need to share with anybody? Why, why do I need to do anything? If, if, if God's going to choose you, and, and it, that's the way it only happens. So the question swings back over. Is there anything on my part that I have to do? And that's why a little later in that very same chapter, he uses words like, to those of you who heard, to those of you who believe, you have other scriptures that said, like Romans 10, for example, if we confess our sins and believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then you will be saved. The one I like is uh, First John, or excuse me, uh, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12. And he says, to all who received him, to who believed in his name, he gave the right to become a child of God. So there's two words there that are our responsibility. What are they? To receive and to believe. Now, what does that say about predestination? What it's saying is, friends, going well back before ever creation was, before the foundations of the world, God's plan was that he have a relationship with you. That's what that's saying. He determined well back then, 
that he wanted a relationship with you and he's going to do everything to reveal that love and that desire uh, for that but there's still a point and i'm not sure where you're at on this whole theological theological base there's some that are dogmatic about this this one camp over here but then there's another camp that says no he created us with a free will and love demands that there be, you know, you have a choice, you have a, a response in your own heart. Otherwise, it wouldn't be love. And so, somewhere in there, God is just simply saying, this is my plan. This has been my plan from the beginning. He chose you. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And if you'll respond to him, you will become a child of his. Now, that's good news, wouldn't you say? That's it. Doesn't, we make it so much more complicated, in my opinion, than it needs to be. And so on the, on the heels of that, here's another spiritual blessing that unfolds. Not only did he choose you for salvation, he chose you to be part of his family. He adopted you into his family. That's a, that's a specifically chosen word, Holy Spirit-driven word, adoption, meaning you were kind of grafted in, as Paul describes in Romans, but now everything that is part of him all the rights and the privileges and the riches and everything that is Christ as the Son of God, you now become a child of God, you become a brother of Christ, and everything that was his is now a part of ours. He says, for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Friends, do you understand that before Christ, that uh, the people of God, the, the Jews, you know, before in the Old Testament, they didn't call God Father. They didn't call him uh, our Heavenly Father. It was Jesus who introduced the idea that we're family. When he prayed, Abba, Father, man, that was kind of almost scandalous in their thinking. That was too intimate. That was a, a too a familiar, too, too intimate fray. But that's how he taught, taught us to pray. You pray, our Father who art in heaven. We're family. And, uh, and everything that goes with that. Look at verse 11 real quick. Would you glance at that? Because <clears throat> obviously as part of a family, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. There's that word again. Um, and, and when it comes to these riches, that's what's going to be passed down to us. I, I shared with you guys a few weeks ago, that my family's dealing with kind of an interesting thing with my grandfather who homesteaded some property uh, on the western side of the San Joaquin Valley in Kalinga, California. And many years ago, he would, he's, he'd stayed in a little shack on this property for months at a time so that he, he could acquire this 160 acres. If you've ever driven down I-5 along that, it's a pretty, pretty blank, blank area, all right? Uh, very dependent upon irrigation and water for the crops and things. And there's a lot of nice crops, but his, his, his is not m among those, okay? And so now the f it's been passed down to the family. And I, I, I sh shared with you then, a number of years later, uh, they found oil on this property. And uh, they never knew it when he was homesteading, but when he found it, I'm telling you, our family back in the 50s and the 60s was kind of sustained by, by, uh, by that to a certain degree. Well, anyway, the, the thing I'm thinking now is we're wrestling with this. What are we going to do with it? And, and all now these multiple generations, and now got, everybody's got their fingers in this, and we're trying to figure out what do you do with it. But I got to thinking this week, I'm not the one who sat in a shack for months at a time. 
so that I would acquire this. I'm not the one who did what was necessary to acquire this. But strictly because I'm part of that family, suddenly now I become a part of it. And now we, you know, if, if, it, if it was real valuable, you know, it would be passed down. And some of you guys here today, maybe, maybe you're thinking to, you know, maybe there's something in your family or an inheritance in your family that, that you're, you, you know, you kind of wonder about or you think about. I, unfortunately, I see more families torn apart by that subject than just about anything else because they get greedy. And you got siblings that get their sights and their minds and around, wrapped around, and you start thinking, oh, yeah, it, it can be a mess. Reminds me of the family got, got to the lawyer's office. They're getting ready to read this rich uncle that was a millionaire, and he passed away, and they're getting ready to read the will. And all of a sudden, they were all sitting on the edge of their seat waiting to see, and it started off, I, George Johnson, by healthy mind and healthy body, did willfully spend it all. <laughs> How'd you like that? I just, I just spent it all. There's nothing left. You know, and uh, just know this. Jesus did not spend it all. He has got riches untold, and you're part of the family. You were adopted in. They're all yours. They're going to be passed down. And we haven't got a clue the extent of that. In fact, Paul uses a a well-chosen word. Notice the next part of that verse. He lavished it on according to his riches. He lavished it on us. Have you ever felt lavished on? <laughs> Think about that. Is that rare? Huh? Is that rare, rare to be, have something lavished on you? And then he chose that word. It's just so we'll begin to comprehend the extent of what we're talking about. He didn't just dole it out with an eyedropper, you know. Or just a little bit here, a little bit there. I mean, he just, according to his riches. You know, it took me back to a time a number of years ago when we were uh, finishing a building project, former church. And uh, interestingly, we moved into our project, our building, the same month North Shore moved into this building. Uh, we had had 40-acre site. We, we built a school and, and a new auditorium and all. It was very, very similar to this. Same month, same time. And uh, I had never led a capital campaign or a building campaign. We chose to kind of raise the money before we built it. It took the best we could. And uh, as we were in the middle of that, I had a good friend of mine, Wayne, who was a property manager <coughs> for a very, very wealthy individual. Uh, he lived over on John's Island. That was one of his many homes he had around the world. He owned probably no less than 500 companies. One of them, some of you from... Boeing might recognize Bombardier uh, was one of his one of his companies Learjet you might recognize that name and uh, and so when Wayne would go you know he would do projects and he was kind of a trusted friend to this guy so I said Wayne do you do you think he, he might be interested in participating in our building campaign <laughs> and I said well I can ask him you know you know I feel close enough to, and I got all excited and uh, and then he said you know he and his wife, they said they, they might like to participate. I said, whoa. <laughs> and I just had these imaginations, you know, according to his riches. <laughs> and when his wife dropped the check off, it was for $1,000. Now, I'm not saying anything negative about $1,000. I, I appreciated that. But 
I would not probably account that to be according to his riches, if you understand what I'm saying. You know what I mean? And just comprehend this. It, we're talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Everything the Father has given to him, it's according to his riches that he has lavished on us, this inheritance that we're waiting for. It's just, it's mind-boggling, isn't it? That he chose me and he chose you. That's even more mind-boggling, that he chose you, you know? And, uh, no, just kidding. Just seeing if you're awake here, all right? I, I, it just, it just, it just really is. It just takes you back to think the extent of what he has made available to us. But it gets pretty exciting. He's made you part of his family. Now, he builds on that. It gets even better. What has he done? Paul just keeps going down this road, and he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, again, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Forgiveness, redemption. Um, you know what I think of when I think of redemption? You guys know what the word redeem means. I mean, it's exchange something for something else, right? Uh, something, you know, a value that you're giving, you know, or to buy back. That's probably what it's closer to the meaning, to buy something back. And, and you know what the best analogy I can think of is? Is a pawn shop. I don't know if you've ever had an occasion, you know, to need a pawn shop, but usually folks get to a place where they're, you know, they're out of resources, and they, they're taking something that up to that point they've valued, that they've held on to. They take it to the pawn shop, and the pawnbroker evaluates it, gives you pennies on the dollar, and you get that cash. Uh, he puts it, and I'm not sure how it really works, but he's putting it under kind of lock and key for a while. Uh, it, let's think of it in spiritual terms. It's now in captivity, okay? It's now been bought, uh, you know, you've sold out, now that's in captivity. And the only way to get it back is if you go back and take some cash, maybe sometimes with a little bit of interest, and then purchase it back to, to get it, right? That's how it works. That word, that redemption word, that's what Jesus Christ did for us. This is doctrine for dummies, by the way, all right? This, I can wrap myself around this. I can understand that. And so what Christ did, we, through our sins, sold ourselves out to the enemy. And now we're in captivity. When we're in sin, we're in captivity. We're behind lock and key. And there is nothing that can get us out of that condition unless somebody pays a price to buy us back. And it, I want you to look at the verse. What price did Jesus pay to buy us back? Look, what, what does it say? Say it out loud. His blood. This is why we sing songs that say he bought us with his blood. This is why, friends, each week at North Shore, when we take the little cup and the little bread, we're remembering his blood, his body, which was given for us to buy us back. That's the word redemption. He did that for you and for me. So we're not under lock and key anymore. We're not in captivity. We don't need to be if we trust what Jesus Christ has done for us. And going along with that is the forgiveness or the canceling of a debt. That's essentially what that word means. And he's saying this forgiveness of our trespasses is also according to his riches. That's where it's, that's where it's going to come down to. And, um, you know, as I, as I look at that, friends, you begin to get a little taste of what he means by he's lavished on us these things. 
These are the spiritual blessings. This is what we were made for. And it's more than what a lot of us, unfortunately, are realizing. Like Hetty Green, we're living like paupers when we've, when we've got resources unlimited. Okay? Last thing, though, the last thing that I see him unfold, because he gets into the kind of the bigger picture, and he says, he says, now making known, verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. And so the last thing I, a point I wanted to really bring to you is that he shows us his plan for our life. He begins to disclose to us what his will for our life is. And if there was one question over my ministry that's been asked more than anything else, it is, Pastor, how do I know the will of God? You say things like, well, he had a plan for you before you were ever created, because that's what the scripture says. When we dedicate little babies up here on the platform, and I hold this little innocent child that's utterly dependent upon their parents and all that, the promise of, of what they can become, I, I'm always drawn to think, God, would you protect this child so that nothing would hinder them from realizing the purpose that was intended for them from the very beginning? And every one of you in the room today have a purpose that God ordained for you. Go ahead, use the word predestined for you, had in mind for you before you were ever born. And I guess my question to you is, have you discovered that? That's one of those riches that has been available, made available to you that sometimes go untapped. We just kind of glide through life or we just bang out the best that we know how, but we never really fully appreciate what God has done and what he has intended for us. And I regularly had com have conversations about folks who are desiring to discover that. That's why we have a class called Discover Your Ministry. Our, one of our elders, John Paxson, teaches that. And, um, you know, uh, it's, it's just not uncommon to just say, Pastor, how do we discover that? How do we find our purpose? And there's, there's some steps. There's things that we can do to begin to uncover. But, friends, just understand this for today. He's made that plan um, available to you and reveals his will. That's what the promise there is. He says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set in Christ. So as I look at these, these things uh, as they, they unfold, I'm hoping that you're comprehending this is the more that he has made available. Now this is going to be kind of a reset. This is going to kind of go over old territory. But, um, but how do we get that? How do we get that? Paul basically lays it out for us. Three things that he says. Look at verse 13, if you would. He says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth. So the first thing that, that we have to kind of evaluate, have we heard the word of truth? You will hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That means the good news. And friends, you know, we can go back to that earlier subject of predestination and think, well, if we're all predestined, then why do I have to go out and share with people about how do they become a Christian and things like that? It's because God, when he chooses you and he's inside of you, you are his hands and you are his feet and you are his mouthpiece. When we've surrendered, like the song we sang a few minutes ago, when you're full, when you're all in me, then I'm all in you, he's going to use you to speak, to share. And if we don't do it often, then it, it doesn't happen. 
And how will they come, Roman says, how will they come unless they hear somebody share that good word of truth, that, that gospel, that good news of salvation? That's where it starts. Second thing is, there's that word believe. We will believe in Jesus. He says, you heard the word and you believed in him. That doesn't mean that you just acknowledge that he's out there, that he, that he exists. It means that you have believed that he rose from the dead, that he paid your price for your sin, that he is your savior and the Lord of your life, that he loves you and has an everlasting plan for you. That's what you believe and you put your trust in that. And just like that, those bills that were in my coat pocket in the closet for a whole season, unless someday you pull them out and you begin to practice that and put that into practice, friends, here's the honest truth. You will be in a state of separation from God. You were born that way. We all were born in a state of sin or separation. And if you have some uncertainty about whether you have been reconciled, what are you waiting for? <laughs> what are you waiting for? He loves you. He wants that relationship with you. And, uh, and so we believe. And then what will happen? The third thing is, that's when he will seal you with his Holy Spirit. So Paul says, hear the word, believe in him, and then you are sealed with a promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Friends, what we're doing now is just a taste. It's just scratching the surface. There is something that is going to be so much greater. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, he says, is like the, the taste of it. It's, it's, it's sealing you for that day. What it is is basically saying, this is who you are. This is your identity now. I'm going to seal you with my spirit so they know who you are. You are mine. You are mine. And nothing's going to snatch you out of my hands. You are my child. Another analogy, friends, it's, it's like being part of the team. You know, this is a good weekend. This, this was the NFL draft week, right? Some of you may have caught this. It was kind of, kind of fun. I like the drama. I just, these guys that have worked so hard and tireless, you know, and now all of a sudden they get a, a phone call. Pete Carroll, our coach from the Seahawks, was on the line with one of the guys, and the guy was just sobbing like a baby. He said, oh, 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 oh. And Pete said, oh, I'll just cry with you, you know. And, uh, and he said, I've been waiting for this call, you know, my whole life, you know. And you, and you just know their whole life has just changed, Right? If you saw the first day, they kind of dramatized it, and these guys back in a room, and they didn't know if or when they'd get called, but when the call came, they'd walk down this long hallway, and one of the guys would hand them a hat with the logo or the emblem of the team they'd just been picked by. And they'd put the hat on, and then they'd walk out onto the stage, and then a lot of times they'll hold up the jersey with their name on it, on the back. You're part of that team. Friends, that's what the Holy Spirit did for you. You are part of his team. He chose you and everything that that means. And these guys, you know, their life has just changed. Their whole family's life has probably just changed with one phone call. <laughs> and for some of you, that might sound too simple, but the Bible says if you will just trust him, receive him, believe in him, he will make you a child of God. That's the promise. Amen?
That's good news. And um, today, our team's going to come up, close us in a time of worship. Uh, I want to do something a little different. Instead of just pray a prayer, I want to read you now Paul's prayer on the heels of what we've just learned today. He now launches into a prayer time, okay? And um, it starts in verse 15. So as we do, stand together with me and just assume that we're just, we're just kind of in tune with his prayer. And here's how his prayer goes. Listen to how he affirms this. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you might know what is the hope in which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ even when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all the rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the ages to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him a head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and is in all. What a prayer. That's a prayer over you, that your eyes will be enlightened to the riches that you have in Christ Jesus. Amen. If we can come alongside you, pray for you. If you've never trusted Christ, come up and visit with one of us. We can lead you through a prayer. We can, we can begin this journey together, okay? But we're going to go out celebrating his name and, uh, and just affirmation of the very things we've been talking about as our worship team leads us. God bless you.